Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. I'm jet propelled at all times. (laughs) How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example. And this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. We're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five, Beavis? (laughs) Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's The Session. My name is JP, and we are here to bring you some good beer information. Today's guests are the boys from Kansas Territory Brewing Company, Brandon and Kurt. Fellas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. And you're sounding uh, and looking very good, very high quality, you, almost like you're in a, a professional recording studio. What's, what's, your, what's your deal there? You guys do a we, bunch of OnlyFans content, or what's up? Absolutely. <laughs> we're here We're here at our local homebrew shop in Manhattan, Kansas. It's Brew Bros Hops and Sprockets, and this is their practice room for their bands. They're both in a band. So we got to give a big shout-out to Terror Tractor and Bikini Gordo because they're the ones that got us where we are. Terror Tractor, is that the name of the, uh, the band? It is. Oh, yeah, what, it is. What kind of music is Terror Tractor? Because I have Terror a, Tractor a, is definitely metal. Okay. Like, so, like farm themed, like the steel jazz, like the steel <laughs> panther right. of uh, of of uh, you know metal, or what's going on? Well, they just do a little bit of everything. They've been around. Okay. I don't know, Aaron. You would know better than me. How long have they been around? Uh, since nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, they started in nineteen ninety nine. Oh so. wow, that is some old shit. 
they have been around for a while. They've they've had some band members come in and out. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're a lot of fun. Okay, Terror Tractor, everyone, check them out. And then what was the name of the shop again? It's Brew Bros Hops and Sprockets. They there sell home brew supplies, and then they also work on bicycles and sell bikes. So oh, nice. That's a cool little combo. Yeah, yeah. That's nice, man. Is it um, is Kansas a big you know sort of bike state? I think it has gotten more and more so. Okay. A lot of gravel rallies and stuff like that, but we still have some some road bikes that are running around. There's a big bike across Kansas event that happens every year. The Dirty Kanza. The Dirty Kanza. That's yep. a big one. The Dirty so. <laughs> That sounds like a lot. That sounds like another band that would back up Terror Tractor. It should be. <laughs> I mean, honestly. That's cool. I mean, you know, it, so but the picture I have in my head of Kansas is that it's just, it's just a, a flat as a board. So riding mm-hmm. your bike across it just is, sort of seems easy. Yeah. Are both of those things true? Um, I have not ridden my bike across the state. Okay. I will tell you that western Kansas is is pretty flat. Okay. But we're kind of in the northeast corner, and so we're in the Flint Hills. And so we have a little bit of, I mean, certainly don't have any mountains or anything like that. No, right. the, yeah. otherwise, Flint Hills is kind of like the Ozarks without any trees. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be the Flint Mountains. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the Flint Hills are named hills for a reason, I suppose. That's right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we start with your guys' little history in brewing? Uh, I don't know whichever you want to go first, uh, but I would love to know how you both got started in brewing. Were you guys home brewing beforehand? You guys home brewers hey, coming up? Why don't you go ahead? Okay. Start. <laughs> so I started, uh, most people don't believe me when I tell them, but I drank my first beer when I was 21 years old. What's, and it was see because I I started night at nineteen and I get sort of the same thing but twenty one right. I feel is like um, yeah I, I don't believe you either when I was when I was ten years old my dad bet me a thousand dollars that I would drink a beer before I turned twenty one and I took him up on it and I think I saved more than a thousand dollars in college not drinking before I turned twenty one <laughs> right but, yeah that was the very first beer I drank and the Christmas after my birthday my birthday's in July okay. he bought me a homebrew kit. Because and you were so, that into it. Yeah, yeah. So I got really into it, um, started home brewing, and then just reading every book I could get my hands on. Um, when I did most of my research, I was actually a conductor on the railroad, and so I was working for Union Pacific, and there's a lot of downtime when you're on the railroad, <laughs> and so a lot of time to, to sit and read a book. And so I just kept reading, kept brewing every time I got home, was volunteering at a local brewery, and they ended up offering me a job. So that was kind of my way of getting in. There's a lot going on. So I want to go back to <laughs> to the, the bet because uh-huh. because yeah. I, there's number there's a lot of things just even with the initiation of the bet, right? Like there's not many dads that I know that would put up that kind of money. Did he pay you? Did he, he did. He did. Okay. He did. So my very first beer, we were actually on the lake fishing. At 7 o'clock in the morning yeah. on my birthday, and he tossed me a bush light and said, I guess this is as good a time as any. <laughs> that and then I got like, the check when we got off the boat. That so. sounds like the, 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 the classic dad maneuver. Yeah. You know, let's not yeah. really talk about it. Let's just be really gruff and manly about it. 7 in the morning, right. crack a <laughs> bush light, and then just, you know, suddenly you're $1,000 richer, man. Yep. He, got, yep. he got you a check. He didn't even give you in cash. I would have given it to you like yeah. an all $2 bill. You should, he should have. <laughs> Did you even know what t- like $1,000 was when you were 10 years old? You're like, dude, I could buy a lot of RC cars. I had no idea. No, no. and you're just like, yeah, sure, beer, whatever. Was, yeah, that's a lot of candy. Yeah, right? 
Did you cheat so, at all? You can tell I did us not now. Cheat at you all. can tell us now. I can now. honestly say that. Was that hard? I don't know why I'm like so uh, bent on this, but this just is, that's fascinating to me because because you didn't. It's not like you didn't drink because you didn't like it or you didn't want to or you just didn't have those friends or you know for whatever reason. But you had a bet. That seems like a very hard thing to. I don't know, man. I would have been like. I think the big thing for me, um, the guys that I lived with when I was in college, they were all partiers, Hell yeah. and I saw them get stupid, and so I was like, yeah, yeah this is easy. I don't want to do that. Okay, and good. So, yeah. so you're smart. I, I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> so you were a train conductor. I was, you were, yeah. Well, that is, uh, you know, if, if I ever retire, <laughs> um, <laughs> and for some reason I find myself in LA, I would, I would be a uh, conductor on the Disneyland railroad because to me, that seems like such a rad job. Yeah. Just yep. driving a little tiny train around, but like the big train, that's a lot of, uh, do you have to go to school for that? Uh, we definitely do some training and the well, I would doesn't hope actually so. drive the train. The engineer does. So we're there to the, to assist the engineer. Oh. So a lot of what I was doing was the paperwork, making sure we were on the right track, track throwing switches, stuff like that. Reading All right. books. Reading books. Yeah. So you're the secretary for the engineer. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And that makes a lot of, I just boiled your job down to make me meaningless. That's it. It's like, yeah, that's, that's it. fine. That's rad. And so in the, in the notes, you also were a school bus driver, which to me means the same thing, train conductor, school bus driver. Um, right. And you distributed racing fuel. I did. What does that even mean? You're like, so se- I, like selling certain racing fuel to racetracks? Yeah, we had, That's wild. I don't remember, like 50 different kinds of racing fuel. And I have never been a racing fan. It was just a job I found myself in. And so it was getting a hazmat license with a CDL that fortunately I already had because I drove a school bus. Um, well, sure. But, Why wouldn't you have a hazmat <laughs> license to drive a school bus? Right. It makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, I drive a flatbed around the state of Kansas and uh, drop off drums of racing fuel in people's barns and stuff. So it was it was bizarre. Kansas had, is that a weird work history. Is that in Kansas? Because if so, that place seems fucking wild, dude. That just yes. seems very weird to me. I don't know yeah, why. So it's it's VP Racing Fuels, and they're still like the big sponsor of all the NHRA drag races and stuff like that. But okay. yeah, one of the main locations is here in Kansas, so it's so it's bizarre. You're, I don't understand. You're doing all this stuff while you're homebrewing. How's your homebrewing going? You you love it? Yeah, fantastic. I loved it. Um, was it good? Be honest. Um, because mine sucked shit. It was yeah, terrible. So the, the the first batch that I remember brewing was actually with a member of our church and he invited me over okay. to homebrew. Okay. And so I brewed with him. And then after that, I just started doing it on my own. The first batches were a little bit rough. One of my beers that I thought was the worst that I brewed was an IPA that it was, it was overly sweet. And I ended up okay. entering into, into a competition anyway, yeah. and it ended up getting a gold. And <laughs> I still have no idea how that happened, but I guess I I tried it beforehand, and I was like, this is not good beer. So I am glad that I was not judging that category if the rest of them were worse than it. So, Bro, yeah, that's the thing, man. Like small comps, you know, you can get a gold, and your beer could be like a 32. Right, yep. It just doesn't, like, it doesn't matter at that point. Yep. So, <laughs> Overly sweet yeah, idea. I, Love it. And I'm not homebrewing a whole lot anymore. Um, 
I continued to homebrew quite a bit when I was at my last brewery. Um, but at this point, it gets a little tricky. Yeah. Well, so how do you how do you transition out of like a working environment, filing paperwork and doing all of the things? Because it sounds like your job, you just love paperwork to go yeah, into opening like a brewery, that. which is even more paperwork. And then eventually paperwork dies away. How do you how do you shift into going? Hey, you know what? I really love brewing. I want to make this my job. Um, honestly, I was just it, it was always a goal of mine to get into the brewing industry professionally. And so while I was volunteering for Tallgrass Brewing Company. Um, they ended up having a position come open and just asked me. And I was like, absolutely. I'm leaving my job at the railroad. I'll make a third as much money and I don't care because I'm going to be doing something I love. And and I've just stuck with it since then. That's sort of like, you know, why I like asking that question, because you, you would take a giant step down, maybe not giant necessarily, depending on what you were doing before, but a, a lot of people, have made that transition and it's financially stupid. Right. Yes, but absolutely. Your passion means, means something at that point. So, yep. you know, as long as you can swing it. So tall grass, so you, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're interning for tall grass or were you, you know, how does that, what job did you, did you have when you first got there? So when I, when I started there, I was volunteering leading tours before I got offered a job. Okay. Uh, the job they offered me was just a shift brewing position. That's and so I just started right away on the brew house. And that's good. That's better than most people get when they first absolutely enter the enter the the scene, right? Usually you're yep. washing kegs or something yep. like yeah. that. Scrubbing floors. And so I worked there for about two years. They built a new facility on the other side of town that was a 50 barrel brew house with 150 barrel fermenters. Uh, but at the same time they were doing that, they opened up a 10 barrel brew pub in downtown Manhattan, Kansas, and they asked me to kind of take that facility over. So I got to be the, I hate the term brew master, but Head they called brewer. me the brew master yeah. of that facility. Okay. And so that's kind of when I stopped home brewing because I got to home brew on a 10 barrel system. I right. got to brew whatever I wanted to brew. And it was, it was a blast. Wow. That seems very, um, I don't know, maybe trusting isn't the right word, but it, it seems very confident. They were confident in you. Yes. You know, having yep. no real uh, commercial experience before that. Yep. And I was very fortunate. And I think it also helped that the ownership of the company was still involved mm-hmm. on the production side, but they also got to keep an eye on the brew pub side. And so they were in and out quite a bit and gave me a lot of help. That's cool, man. So then yeah. what happens at Tallgrass? So Tallgrass, their production facility ended up going under. Oh, man. And so... I think they were in 17 states or something when they actually ended up going under. Uh, but the brew pub is still open. Oh, okay. And so nice. Um, I ended up transitioning over to Kansas Territory Brewing Company five years ago. Um, and when I started there, I started in sales, which Kurt is our sales director. And I am, I am not a sales guy at all. I figured out I belong in a brewery, and that's it. And <laughs> all so, right. Um, but yeah, I did sales for a couple of years until our brewer left. And then I've been head brewer out at Kansas territory ever since. Okay. Nice. Nice. And Kurt, how long have you been with the company? Um, let's see. I've been here for about, uh, three years now. Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, before that I, um, I had a brief stint Firestone Walker. I worked there for a year managing, uh, three States in the Midwest. And, uh, before nice. that I did a primarily wholesale for Miller Coors houses. So, 
Okay. I had uh, about 13 years of uh, craft brand manager experience, uh, managing brands from all over the United States and uh, Miller Coors houses in Illinois. And then uh, that moved me out to Kansas about, uh, about seven years ago now. Wow. I, I guess I never really thought about sales managers moving like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wild, yeah, I worked, uh, I worked in Southern Illinois for about five years and then uh, a guy called me and it was one of my suppliers who worked for stone brewing company. He said, Hey, there's this uh, wholesaler in Kansas that uh, they need a craft brands manager. They only have like uh, six or seven craft beer brands and they want to build their portfolio. So came out, met with the guys and uh, ran that, ran that division uh, for about five years. So very successfully, we had a great time building, building up the craft brands in the state. So, nice. So you've seen, you've seen craft grow in the Midwest. Oh yeah. Kansas, yeah. I was right? born right in the beginning of it. So uh, very fortunate to do that. You know, I've been out to Sam Adams and, uh, went through the beer Academy out there and, and, you know, done all the brewery tours across the West coast, you know, just through their training programs and stuff. So yeah, it's been a, uh, it's been a wild ride, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, with everybody focusing on, you know, real hyper local breweries and things like that, I think, uh, uh, there was an opportunity, you know, Brad who owns Kansas territory, uh, he was our number one local brand at the wholesaler I was working at. And, uh, I saw an opportunity for, uh, local craft loggers just to explode in the Midwest. So uh, that's why why we started talking and I came on board. Yeah, the Midwest is very logger focused, which I'm very jealous of. Right. You know what I mean? And so I appreciate you guys sent three loggers. And uh, right. I was like, wow. I go, that's it? And I go, that's it? That's all you right. need? Just give, me, yeah. just give me loggers, man, so you guys know what's going on. Yeah, um, about 97% of all beer sold in uh, Kansas and and in Missouri are, are uh, domestic loggers. So that's wow. kind of the, the iceberg that, that we're chipping away at. Are you trying to get other styles out there in the market through, you know, have the loggers kick down the door and then maybe work in some ales or whatever? Or you're fine with loggers, but you want to take over the majority of that segment? Right, yeah. So okay. if you look uh, in the United States, there's uh, there's regional loggers all across the board. You know, you have Rainier up in the up in the Northwest, you have Lone Star down in Texas. You know, a lot of these have been gobbled up by Pabst or some of the big, uh, the big domestic brewery companies. But uh, for some reason in Kansas and Nebraska and even Missouri, there's, there's really not that local domestic lager that people kind of fall back to, Okay. you know, and yeah. uh, that's, that's where we saw our future. So when I came on board, we were brewing nine different beers probably. Yeah. We kind of did it the opposite of what you said. We had a bunch of beers and right. then I've kind of narrowed it down to what has been successful. Right. Okay. That's an interesting growth strategy. Because, yeah, usually yeah, well, you, you try to, like, spread your wings a little bit and show people what they want, but it sounds like everybody already knows what they want. Right. Yeah. And if you boil down, you know, like, if you boil down beer, it's con- consumer packaged good industry, you know, and mm-hmm. there's no other consumer packaged goods that, that goes to the consumer and says, hey, you shouldn't be drinking that because we think that this is better. And we kind of, uh, we wanted to embrace the fact that there's a lot of light lager drinkers out there. You know, it's 97% of the beer sold in Kansas. And, uh, you know, our craft industry is boom, booming. I think whenever whenever I came out here, there were nine breweries, and there's like 36 now. So uh, we figured wow. that uh, rather than try to compete for that small 3% share of the pie, we would go after the 97%. Well, and I think Brad probably said it best, our owner again. Um, he kind of lives down a dirt road. He's five miles out off the highway. And he told us one day, he said, 
you know what? I realized I've never seen an IPA can in the ditch, which is an interesting way to look at it. But he said, everything that I see out there is light lagers. And if that's what these people are drinking, that's what we're going to produce for them. I mean, yeah, that does make a lot of sense because it's sort of like low hanging fruit in a way. Right. You know, yeah. if you can produce a light lager, people are already drinking it. They're going to try yours, you know, no matter what, because you know, the market's already there. But like he said, is the market there for an IPA? I've never seen litter, you know, in the IPA. Right. I mean, it makes a lot and of that's sense. That's a bad man. way to gauge it, but it, it really it kind of makes sense. Yeah. It sort of speaks like, <laughs> to like, you know, the, I don't know the, uh, yeah, I don't know the local beer drinker. Like, Oh, we'll just put the can anywhere. And I know that's not right. what it is, but, but that is a good gauge of that too. That's he said that pretty the, smart. The, the first time he saw a life coach can in the ditch, he took a picture of it and then he picked it up, but yeah. <laughs> he did take a picture of it first. <laughs> and life coach is your, is your lager that we're going to be That's drinking. Our flagship. That's our flagship lager. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think it's a good segue. Why don't I, I crack it open. Let's hey, do it. There you go. Confidently crafted. I like that. That's a good, it's a good yeah. tagline. All right. So and tell me, suck it up. Tagline is always good on there too. <laughs> That's true. Uh, tell me about Life Coach, man. What, uh, what's the story behind this beer? So, again, there is a story behind every name of all of our beers. Uh, this was a pastor that Brad was friends with that decided to become a life coach. And Brad was talking to him over a beer and said, what exactly is a life coach? And the guy said, it's just somebody that listens to people's problems, tries to help them through them, kind of like a counselor, but... Not really. And so initially we tried to call, instead of the suck it up tagline, we tried to say counselor in a can. But the ABC wasn't down with that. And yeah. so. <laughs> I can see that, man. You said that. I'm like, that's that's right. great. And then instantly I'm going, well, that's a lot of alcoholic, you know, talk. Right. So. You can't attribute therapeutical <laughs> properties to an alcoholic beverage. Um, oh. And, okay. and so. Yeah. Right. Brad told the guy, he goes, do you ever want to grab these guys by the shoulders, shake them, and just tell them to suck it up? And that's where the tagline came from. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I mean, it sort of just seems like what a pastor does anyways, except, you know, he doesn't have to give a sermon or whatever, right? Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Just do the same thing. Yeah, life coaches are weird, man. I I worked with one once um, through an old job, and it was like, weirdly like aggressive therapy. I don't know. It depends. I mean, everyone has their own, their own like take on it, but uh, that's a cool, that's a cool business. Cause it is sort of like a therapist, but they, they like help you plan instead of ask you what you think you should do. Yep. It's a little and you don't have to go through any pesky training. <laughs> <laughs> so when you came on, was this, was this already an established brand? Yes. Brand for okay. both of us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. It was just getting started when I came on. So I did a lot of pushing and, and doing tastings and stuff like that in some of the local regional areas anyway. Okay. All right. And did you have to do any tweaks to it or is it just the, the recipe that was there when you came, when you came on? It's pretty similar. We've adjusted the hops a little bit. Okay. But other than that, and obviously this is not a hop forward beer by no. any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So. so what kind of, what kind of adjustments did you make as far as. So uh, we started using, when I came in, we were using Vanguard and I just adjusted that back to Herzbrucker. And so wanted a little of that German spice to it. But um, other than that, it's the same recipe it's been since, okay. since the brewery started. It's great. Yeah, that's a really good. Um, what I mean, what's this style? Just standard American standard lager. Standard American lager. Okay. 
Yep. So what commercially would I compare this to in my brain, in my stupid brain? You know what I mean? Is it like a <laughs> yeah, just like a Coors? Pap Schlitz. Yeah. Paps. Okay. Yeah. It is. It is a corn based. I mean, corn is the adjunct we use. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm definitely getting that. I mean, it, it does taste like a PBR, but 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 lighter. You know, PBR yeah, can right. sometimes be a little sweeter. It's definitely a little dried out. Right. Yeah, that's a very very easy drinking. Um, that's a very easy drinking lager. I mean, I could. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, there's no there's no real hop character to speak of, which is obviously right. what you want. Like you said, it's a very pleasant sort of sweet corn aroma. The uh, the yeast esters are there. What kind of yeast do you use for this? So we use Global from Imperial. Is that just like a standard? Yeah, lager just kind of their standard lager. Okay. But we love the guys out at Imperial Yeast. They have done just an incredible job with their nice with their new facility and and getting everything up and running. Um, still maintaining consistency. So, so and their technical support is second to none. I mean, oh great, yeah. Good. Yeah, it's important to have for sure. Absolutely. So h- how do you take a style like this that is, like you guys have said, well, well established in the area and chip away, Kurt, like you were saying, how do you chip away at that at that piece of market with a beer uh, like this? Uh, what do you do? It's it's not as easy as you would think. <laughs> no, I can imagine um, but, not. But, it sounds really hard. Yeah, it, it is sometimes. But um, honestly... You know, if you if you look at the wholesale network, you have your Miller Coors, uh, Molson Coors now, and Anheuser Busch houses, and uh, you know, in, in the state of Kansas, whenever we were brought on board, it was uh, what they call a three-two state. So all beer was sold through uh, independent liquor stores, and uh, whenever you have a situation like that, the uh, the uh, the domestic beer guys can pretty much tell these liquor stores what to do. So whenever we walked into these liquor stores and we had a light domestic lager. A lot of them, they were doing backflips, and they were like, "This is, this is fantastic." You know, we uh, we don't have to be kind of pushed around anymore or anything like that. <laughs> wow! And uh, yeah, it, it it was we were received very well, and I think that's why it why it took off from the start. I mean, uh, whenever okay. we whenever we took our focus away from uh, uh, from from what, what you would call traditional craft brands, and we cut our skews down from uh, I think we had fifteen in total, and we cut them down to three. Uh, our sales went up uh, 200% the first year. So it uh, uh, essentially we were just focused on a, on a segment that no one's really focusing on, but that kind of drives the train. So um, yeah, it, uh, it's a lot of feet in the street. I mean, you know, whenever you think of uh, like Anheuser-Busch or, or Molson Coors, they have one sales rep that covers three or four States and they don't, you know, they, they do, do some market time out in the market and things like that, but they're not doing regular tastings. Everybody knows what a Coors Light tastes like. So (laughs) for us to come in and say, Hey, we have this new, we have this, uh, we have this brand that you can, you can make a little bit higher margin on, you know, we're local. It's going to be fresher. We're not going to dump a bunch of out of code beer on you. Uh, They were really receptive to that. So we've also had a lot of success in the college markets. I mean, those have been our biggest markets. So Manhattan, Lawrence, Wichita, those markets have been huge. And I think a lot of that is because of the focus on wanting to drink something hyper local, but you're also going to college kids that might not have the expendable income that they're able to buy a six pack of IPA every weekend or whatever. Right. And so that's why we started doing larger packaging as well. And so we're doing 24 packs right now. Ah, but, okay. But 
keeping 24 packs at a good price that is similar to the other macro loggers, um, that gives them an opportunity to still have that pride in their local community, yeah, but yeah. not have to break the bank. How do you, yeah, that seems like an impossible job as well. I mean, that's a very, those things are, are rock bottom prices. I mean, you yeah. got to make something. Well, um, and that's another thing that the, the domestic prices have uh, uh, been creeping up the past, you know, whenever I was in college 16 years ago, uh, a 30 pack Keystone light was 1299. And now you go to the, you go to the liquor store and it's 1999. I was uh, out in the market this morning and, and bush light 30 packs are, are almost $23 now. So it seems like, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's been holding the line with craft and eight ninety nine six packs, eight ninety nine. Meanwhile, domestic's been creeping up. I mean, they've been taking price increase every year for the past 12 years. So, you know, it, it is a little bit more uh, uh, easier to hit that, hit that line now uh, to be okay. competitive in the domestic market, at least. That's great. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you, uh, so you said that, you know, you're paring your brands down. What sort of, what brands did you get rid of or maybe put on the back burner or maybe not, not distribute as much as the loggers? What, what had to, what had to, to, to give a little bit for you to move forward with this? Cause I'm fascinated with this sort of, uh, you know, business plan of, of let's just push these, these style of beers, which I love. Sure. Yeah. Um, some of it was also a discussion of moving from bottles to cans. And okay. so we did start out bottling and then got a canning line. So we've got a rotary canning line, 18 fill heads. Um, oh, nice. So we've got that moving. Um, but the, the brands that we cut, we had a high-rise wheat, uh, which was just a standard American wheat. Mm-hmm. We did kind of a standard IPA. That was our wind wagon IPA. Um, we had our aeroplane pale ale. What else am I missing? Locomotion stout. Locomotion stout, horsepower red. Are uh, those... So we kind of ran the gamut of all okay. of that. Yeah, so standard like uh, you right. know brewery just... fair. Let's just do this down the middle of the road sort of styles of beer. Are those available uh, like uh, you know at the at the bar? Or are they just not distributed? Occasionally they are. As a matter of fact, we just put high rise wheat pack on the bar. Yep, there um, you go. Okay, but we we are running them more as seasonals right now. Okay, so interesting. Okay, so you sort of drop back to like more of the seasonal format and pushing right. these a lot harder. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then how has the reception been? I mean, I know distribution wise in liquor stores, it sounds like it's going good. But when people come in, are they like, oh man, I really miss this thing, or hey, I'm really stoked that you have more light loggers on. <laughs> All the time, it's I really miss this beer. Everybody's got their beer that they miss. Yeah, and, well, that's true. I think that's going to be true whether you have forty beers on tap yeah. or three beers on tap. I realized just as you said that, I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably more true than untrue because every it's the same the same story every time. Anytime someone right. takes one beer off, there's always some dumbass who loves it and it's their favorite. Yep, right. Yeah, but having said that, we also have a one barrel pilot system, and so we're always trying to crank just random beers, whatever the brewers want to brew. We're trying to crank that through. And so okay. there's typically something new every time you come out, but the brewery is also in a town of a thousand people. And so, okay. It's typically the same people you're seeing every weekend. I mean, we, we have some people come from out of town that want to see it. And we especially like to get our distributors out there because they think of a, a brewery in, in Washington, Kansas town of a thousand, you know, they think it's some rinky dink operation that, that really is not as as sophisticated as we have made it. And so um, we like to get them out there. But, yeah, for the most part, I mean, 
I would say Bradford Light, which is maybe another good transition if you if you want to go there. But Bradford Light is the lighter version of our lager, and it's probably our number one seller at our pub. That's the other can that I have, right? The yeah. blue can or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. I wow. That's that's really interesting, man. You guys are like um, this is like sales focused. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what the hell you guys are doing because and, and, it's a little bit deeper than that. I mean, yeah, for sure. That's what I'm, the American Lager. So, yes. like, um, in in the '60s, there were Stores Brewing Company. Are you familiar with them? No. Yeah, no one is. No one knows about them. But okay. uh, you crack you crack a book open on American Light Lagers, and uh, Stores Brewing Company was from Omaha, Nebraska, and at their peak, they brewed 1.3 million barrels of beer. And to think about that, most of it was consumed in Nebraska. So whenever I say that, uh, wow, you know, like Kansas, uh, they primarily drank light domestic lager. We're talking close to 20 million cases of light domestic lager. It's a lot of beer. And, uh, you know, 50 years ago, everybody was drinking stores. And um, stores got bought out by Anheuser-Busch. And uh, they were bought out and immediately closed. So, um all those liquor stores, you know, they couldn't buy stores anymore, so they immediately loaded up on the beers that they could get, Anheuser-Busch beers or Molson Coors beers, whatever, and uh, that kind of killed that regional lager brand. And we want to bring that back in uh, in the Midwest. I think that's cool. You know, like you said, yeah. Ray, like Rainier in the Pacific Northwest, Lone Star, Texas has Lone Star, which right. are both good beers, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's all, I mean, Yingling for... Yeah, yeah, dude, forget, yeah, get out of town with that. It's interesting because, you know, when I got into craft beer in the late 90s, um, it was very much, this is the style that you poo-pooed. You just shit all over it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting that it's it's not. yellow beer, right? Yeah, Yeah, oh, my, dude, yeah. (laughs) That marketing, I just, I I never, never been on board with that. But uh, anyway. I just found out those guys are making seltzer now. So oh, good. They oh, can't no. use that tagline anymore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, once they push out their first lager, it's like, oh, okay. Right. Um, but I never understood that because you're, you are isolating a, a majority of, of beer drinkers. And I get the marketing. It's very bombastic and very in your face. And that's, you know, right. that worked for like a little bit. But the problem with marketing like that is you, you built your brand on the thing that now you're doing and they, just this weird circle. But anyway, the, the like loggers themselves, like, you know, Pilsners and like the classic German styles or whatever, those always seem to be exempt from the hatred of, of American, you know, not American loggers, but you know, uh, craft beer loggers, but beers like these were always demonized. And I see them, I don't want to say more and more, but I do see them a lot and they're, they're good. I never, you know, once I sort of open my palate and my mind to them, I love a Coors. Give me a Coors Banquet. I love yeah. that shit. You know, PBR is great. Lone Star, good. Vitamin R. I love it. I don't know. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would, and I would definitely support a craft brewery pumping out beers like this over, you know, what do you guys keep saying? Bush Light. Is that like the, that's, that's the that's beer up there? It's the number one selling beer in Kansas and Missouri. Bush. I, I've no, I've, I think I think I've had a bush light once. In fact, I think that was responsible for the literal worst hangover I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a corn baby. Two Sierra Nevada pale ales and two bush lights. No ice. Uh, do they do oh, the bush boy. ice? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a different that's story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, man, that's uh, that's the last time I ever ate uh, barbecue uh, ruffles. 
in the morning to get over my hangover and they came out my nose later. Like it was not a good, uh, yeah. not a good yeah. look, man. It was very, very bad. Um, yeah. But anyways, I, I digress from that. I mean, I could, but yeah, Brad, I, I could see that. Brad's other philosophy is also keeping everything super local and keeping that town of Washington alive. You know, small towns are dying all over the place. Yeah. And yeah. he owns a company called Bradford Build. They're the second leading truck bed manufacturer in the United States. And so he employs, I think, almost 100 people just there in Washington. And wow. he wanted something else that would keep people coming, have them come out and visit. And I remember this the first year that I was there, he was so excited because the town population grew by two people that year. <laughs> and that that made his year. Wow. That was exactly what he wanted. And so that's that's kind of the flip side. It's it's a beer for the people that are local. And then if other people like it, cool. It it seems almost too good to be true. It seems like almost too benevolent, right? But right. Yeah, because you don't you don't hear stories like that, really. Yeah. You know, like, right. oh I, I own I I own, geez. I own a business that employs what is that ten percent of the population in the town, and yeah. I'm gonna open yeah. another business to give mm-hmm. to give them something else to do. Like that's cool. That's yeah. a nice that's a nice uh that's a nice vibe. Right. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, let's take a quick break. Um, When we come back, I have the Pineapple Life Coach. Nice. All right. So I want to try that and and get your thoughts on that. And then, um, you know, we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. right. Hang on a sec, everybody. We'll be right back. We have Kansas Territory Brewing Company on the phone or on the Skype or the, I don't know, whatever. Oh, we'll be right back. Tuned into the session. Because life's too short to listen to crappy radio. Hey, thanks for hanging around, everybody. We are the session, and we are speaking with Kansas Territory Brewing Company out of Washington, Kansas. I got that right, right? Washington, Kansas? Yep, yep that's right. it. Unless you're from there, then it's Washington. It has to be Washington. No. Yeah, it's always. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anybody from the Midwest says Washington. That's right. right. <laughs> and the, the R is more pronounced as you get older, too. Like uh, my wife's grandma <laughs> that. says Word. that. Yeah. And like over and over, like over the years, she heard it's very now pronounced because it used to be like, did you did you say Washington or was it Washington? Right. <laughs> now it's, it's like Washington. Yep. Like Tasty would do that, too. Like whenever he'd say like just over the years. Right. It would be Washington. Yep. Loved it. <laughs> um, all right. I don't know. I'm yelling. Um I'm going to bust up the pineapple life coach. Let's do it. Lager with a pineapple. So tell me about this. Let me, let me in on the secret of the pineapple life coach. So it's pretty tricky. We take our life coach and we add pineapple to it. Damn. Love it. So it's, <laughs> uh, we take puree from Oregon fruit company and we actually inject it right before we send it through the centrifuge to pull out some of the pulp and stuff like that. Um, oh, okay. It's not uh, it's not in fermentation or it is not in fermentation. No. So how do you talk about the the roots of this beverage? Please do. Yeah. So this beer is inspired by another local place in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, it's called the So Long Saloon, and they have a drink that they call the Nancy, 
and it's Milwaukee's best. I believe so. Milwaukee's best blended with some Dole pineapple juice, and it is by far their best-selling beer. Stop it, dude! It's it's crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you, they, that sounds I illegal. Think, I don't I don't know if you can even I really think do that. They seat like 55 people. Yeah, maybe, and they're the number one seller of Milwaukee's best in the nation. Numero uno, because they add a little bit of pineapple juice to it. Yeah, and so. It's a beer cocktail. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. you know, we uh, we all sat down two years ago and we talked about whether or not we wanted to produce a seltzer uh, okay. because that was kind of, you know, it was, it was, it was hitting that tipping point where, where our wholesalers were saying, oh my God, you know, this White Claw stuff, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. You yeah. know, we're selling, it's, it's outselling Miller Coors in some of our markets. And, uh, and we sat down and we decided against doing that because we, uh, you know, we want to, we run a, we want to become that lager brewery and re envision that, that American lager brewery in the United States. So we uh, decided to toy around with some beer cocktails. So this was, uh, this is the first one that we released and uh, after some different iterations, but. Yep. Okay. That yeah. is, you know, that is, you know, interesting way to put it because, you know, re envisioning the American lager brewery, because it is a very romanticized version of American brewing history. I mean, right. not, not version. It's just what it was. I mean, pale ale, IPA, they didn't really exist. We were just sort of always making American lagers. Right. As yeah, a country. Something you could drink on a hot summer day and, and, you know, not get all squirreled up. So that's, <laughs> squirreled uh, that's up. what we want to do. That would be me, dude. A hundred percent. Squirreled up. Focus on this beer. And this is going to harken back to another Brad story, but we we always want to make sure that our beer is is drinkable to the point where when you finish one, you want another one. Yes, right. That's the and goal. And so, so when Brad had to give a talk at one of the beer festivals we went to, they paired our life coach with a bratwurst or something, and he had to talk about why they paired it that way and all that, and he stood up and he held it up and he said, if it were me and I had to pair this beer, I'd pair it with another one just like it. And then he set the microphone down and walked away. <laughs> and that was his whole speech. <laughs> and so when when I was developing this one, I wanted to make sure that we kept the pineapple levels to where you could definitely tell it's a pineapple beer. Yeah. But it's not going to be overly sweet. It's not going to be cloying by any stretch. And when you finish it, you could still have another one. So how long did it take you to get that process down? Because for me, About I would have yeah, really okay. Because I mean, my, my yeah, first no, thought was like, let's throw it in the fermenter. No, 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 no. Uh, Brandon oversimplified it a little bit. It took us a long, <laughs> long, long, long time to get this into a can. It so. did. It was a lot of mixing in pint glasses originally. Mm -hmm. uh, we switched suppliers of pineapple a couple of different times. Oregon Fruit. I know they've been a sponsor of you guys for a while, mm -hmm. um, but their their stuff's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and we stuff. were able to find a way that we could add it and still keep a stable product. And so, um, it yeah, it was it was a labor yeah. of love. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> pineapple, pineapple, raw pineapple has a lot of bacteria in it. It's you know like whenever you mm. whenever you're taking probiotics, if you look on the back, it'll say you know that it comes from pineapple or something like that. So hmm. you know, getting this, getting a um, uh, a shelf stable beer like this took a long time. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine, man. Yeah. And how close is it to the uh, to the drink, to the Nancy? It's it's, it's fairly close. close. Yeah. We did we did run a growler of it over to them um, 
the first iteration of it that we did. Oh yeah. And they said we were spot on. So, wow. and then they said they were okay with us producing it as long as we didn't call it a Nancy. So yeah. if you're ever in Manhattan, Kansas, go to so long saloon, order yourself a Nancy. Yeah. But if you're not, and you need one in a pinch, that's right. We've got one. Yeah. If you're going, if you're going camping or hiking or whatever, right. Grab right. these. How, how close is, uh, is, um, the, the bar to, to you guys? So it's a little over an hour. I actually live in Manhattan, so I commute a little over an hour every day okay. to work. Okay. Um, I typically see more deer than cars on my way there, but it's fucking um, wild, man. <laughs> I can just put it in autopilot and just go. God damn! It takes me. It takes me like it takes us out here in the Bay Area. It takes us about an hour to go like thirty miles. Thirty right. Oh, miles. No. Dude. I'm talking an hour to go that. about seventy miles. Yeah. So <laughs> because I drive seventy miles an hour, and that's right. why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way out here, man. This is uh, this is an interesting. It's an interesting beer. I mean, you. I guess you. Yeah, you call it a beer. I want to, like Kurt was saying, a beer cocktail, but it's not really. It's good. I like it. I don't know, man. It is it is oddly refreshing. Like for some reason I don't really think that the pineapple would be I don't know, would be a, a good pairing with like standard American lager. I don't know why. I just never really thought about it, but it sort of works. Yeah. And it's I don't been know how I feel about it. Great for us. I mean, it, it uh, uh the first year we had it out in cans. Um so with Life Coach, we have three different uh, packages. We have six packs, fifteens, and thirty or twenty-four packs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just released this in six packs, and it's already overtaken uh, Life Coach Original, really? uh, which has been yeah, it's been great for us. Uh, and the community's really responded well to it. So that's weird to me, man. I don't, I don't. Do you think that that's um, sort of uh, writing on the wall as far as uh, you know you're opening to do more fruited beers like this? Uh, maybe. So, um, you know, we, uh, we look back at like Ballast Point, um, you know, we, we brought those guys to Kansas and, uh, um, I remember I met with their, with their sales team and Earl, uh, whenever we kicked off and he said, never have more than three types of sculpin because you get sculpin fatigue and people stop buying it and they, they just get overwhelmed. So while we, we may do another iteration in the future, uh, uh, I think we're just going to stick with what we got going now. Yeah, and we do do draft versions. I mean, we've had uh, uh, grapefruit and sea salt life coach. Uh, we package oh. that for some uh, on-premise accounts. That sounds good, like a work. little salty dog version of a beer. Yeah, or something salty like that. dog, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, hail back to Oklahoma. We got we have people that drive from Oklahoma City, which is about eight hours, up to the brewery just to buy pineapple. So we figured we'd do a salty dog version uh, for them. I love it. <laughs> That's cool. And then would you like, would you just stop doing this one to then do the other one? Cause like you said, you don't want people to get tired of it or do you have um, that well, worked out? We're, yet? we're I mean, still in the know. infancy of uh, okay. pineapple life coach. I mean, we, uh, like I said, we only have six packs right now because our brewery is at capacity, which is, uh, which is why we uh, we're building out our new facility, uh, which is much, much bigger than, than what we have now. What is your system now? I don't know if we've covered that yet. So we're brewing on a, an ABE system out of Lincoln, Nebraska. It's a four-vessel, 20-barrel system. We're brewing into 60-barrel fermenters. Four 20-barrels. Okay, 20-barrels. That's no. That's nothing to shake a stick at, man. Yeah. So it gets a little bit tricky when I'm the only one brewing, and that happens on occasion. Okay. And so that's a good 18-hour day. But Ugh. Oh, yeah. But 
That's uh, going to happen every now and then. Yeah, yeah. so you're, you're doing like three turns. I knew what I was getting myself into. <laughs> well, when I got that's into true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true, man. That's true. So you're and that's doing like, one thing I will say. Anytime I interview a new brewer mm-hmm. and talk to somebody about coming into our facility, yeah, I spend the entire interview trying to talk them out of it. And if they're still interested at the end of the interview, mm-hmm. then they might stick around for a little bit. <laughs> but I'm going to do everything that I can to talk them out. What do you do? What do you job. say? Like, what's like the go-to line? You got to have one just, go-to. It's just a lot of, you're just, I mean, what we all know that brewers do. Yes. You like cleaning them. A lot of, right. Do you like <laughs> scrubbing floors? Do you like lifting 50-pound bags over your heads? Do you like, you know, just CIPing tanks and stuff like that? And yeah. if they're if they're still interested, then... Gotta we keep might her. have somebody. Do you ever get people going like, oh, I just, no, I just want to walk around in boots and drink beer. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. A lot of times. Interesting. And so, wow. and that's why I know, I know a lot of breweries, I have, I have heard at least that they recommend giving the person you're interviewing a couple of beers and seeing how they are after a couple of beers. I don't want them close to beer because I don't want them to think that that's what we're doing is drinking three or four beers every day. Yeah. And just hanging out. But that is a good, I mean, that is a good interview tactic. Like, Hey, cause if you, if you don't like the person or if they get a little weird after a few beers, you can't That's take true. them, you can't yes. take them to a beer festival. Right. Right. <laughs> just, there's no way, you know, we've yep. all, we've all heard stories about that. We've all seen that. You know, right. <laughs> we've all, I mean, we've all been that guy, right guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you guys uh, have many beer fests out there at your way? Oh, all tons of them. Yeah, I nice. think uh, uh, the year that I started, Brandon told me, "What? What? How many did you do? Like seventy in one year? Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Really, seventy yeah. in one year? Yeah, he said he did one every, at least one a weekend for the entire year. And I was like, all right, that stops now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? You Why not do that? Why not? But we we still do some of the really cool ones. The last one we did was in Wichita Mm -hmm. and it was the hatch green chili festival. Yeah. So everybody brewed a green chili beer. Okay. And then also got to bring other beers to pour. I hope so because that would be the, yeah, (laughs) yeah, the porter parties would be on fire. Right. And it's it's typically a hundred degrees on that day. It was hot. And so it's, it was a little rough, but this year it was actually really nice. And, and the chili beer turned out good. So. Okay. All right. So, Kurt, why why did you stop that many fests? Well, we, we were transitioning what we were doing in our brewery. So, okay. you know, you uh, essentially, if you can, if for a salesperson to dedicate his time to a beer festival where they're going to an outdoor venue where there's anywhere from 50 to 100 different breweries, and trying to remain competitive with uh, the people out there, yeah, you know, it's just it's really it's really difficult to to get any sort of attention or, or anything that, that, uh, you know, grows your business at all. So, you know, we've always kind of made it optional. If the guys at the brewery want to do it and it's a really cool festival that, uh, that's, uh, that's a nonprofit, uh, uh, beer festival, mm-hmm. we will do those. Absolutely. But, um, you know, there's, there's better, you know, we have families and things like that and doing, doing a beer festival every weekend yeah. throughout the year. That's a good way to burn somebody out. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. All right. I was yeah. just, I was curious about like, yeah, if it was a sales thing. Cause I know, you know, some people when they first start, they get inundated with festival requests or don't beer donations or whatever. And it's like, that's cool. Right. I would love to go to your festival, you know, 50 miles or a hundred miles or 200 miles out the, out off of, of where I'm at, but I don't distribute yet. 
or right. I don't, we don't distribute in that area or that state or whatever. So I, I they can't justify it. So I was right. wondering if there was some of that too, where it's like, I just, we just don't, we're not in this market. Right. Yeah. There's still the flip side of it where I still fully believe that the only impact you can make on a consumer at a beer festival is within the first 30 minutes. Right. Because after that, either their palate is shot or they're just trying to get drunk. Yeah. Or they want free stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah, they oh, can I take stuff. these pens? <laughs> right. <laughs> can I have more than one? My my child, my kid loves ballpoint pens. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I get it. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. So Plus, you know, doing tap takeovers and things like yeah. that, that I, I find that to be much more effective because those consumers do come back, you know, a beer festival, they go to the beer festival, they go home and that's it. You know, you don't, you don't see those people. So, you know, go doing an event at a bar or a happy hour at a bar, that's, that's much more effective for us. And that, that money, you know, that stays local. So, you know, we can, we can enrich that, that, uh, that venues, customer base, get mm-hmm. them drinking something there. They're not used to drinking. And, uh, yeah. That does make a lot of sense, man. I sort of like that idea because, you know, and, and like you were both saying, if the festival's cool, we'll mm-hmm. do it. And I think that sort of puts pressure on festivals to be cool. Yeah, it yep. should be that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the one that we put on, um, you know, if we ever get to do it again, um, <laughs> that's always a good fest because we have good music and a lot of food trucks and the breweries are handpicked and they're all pouring different stuff. And that's right. that's a big part of it, too, because like you were saying, you can't you can't just go and be like, all right, well, we have the same beer. Everyone right, has right. everyone has you know four IPAs on, and then you just you just sort of trying to steal shit from people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Well, and we show up and we pour the three loggers that we sent you, and you know we'll have people coming up and saying, IPA. "Hey, can I get an IPA?" Or, yeah. "I'm really into dark beers." But what we have found Good. <laughs> is that the other brewers that are around us. Those oh, are yeah. the guys that are coming over and stealing life coach out of our cooler constantly. Yeah. Every time we go to a beer festival, they're like, Hey, help me out. I need some beer. You need that. They want something that they can drink that they just can enjoy, but is not going to get them drunk and they can still sit there and pour their beers. So Yard we beer. see, we see life coach at a lot of different beer tents. You know what? And that's, and that's great. You, you almost need like to convert your cooler into like a, like a steam trunk. You know, with like a little padlock, just bus. yeah, just for yeah, show, right? Bus. Okay, yeah. but like just for show, like brewers, stop it. There's no, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, you know, I wonder if that is sort of the because we we talk about every once in a while the 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 rise of the logger, right? The 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 return of the logger, I should say, and right. I wonder if it's a correlation between the number of brewers that there are, like. You know what I mean? Because it is a brewer's beer, and that's always yep. always what's going to happen, right? If you have a lager on, you're going to get a brewer, like a fly, just circling around like, hey, is that right. you guys? You know, what, what's the ABV on that? What's going on? Um, <laughs> but there's so many breweries opening now. I think more people are just like, look, I want to brew this lager. We're going to brew it. We're going to drink it here. People are going to like it. And then that has sort of, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to find an analogy for it, but it's, it, it's sort of like, I don't know the courage or whatever. Let's just be really bombastic about that. Someone had the courage. Brewers are having the courage to stand up to the IPA and to say, we're going to do this beer. I don't know what I'm saying, but um, you know what I mean? It's like, there's more brewers. Well, and repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. There's more brewers out there drinking the thing. They're brewing it for themselves. And then other people are sort of like the consumer is like, Oh, I like this too. Please do more. Right. I don't know. But you also, and I think I heard this on the show. I can't remember who it was that said it, but, 
Somebody said, if you don't brew an IPA, it's because you hate money. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, that is the I other side get of it. it. But <laughs> yeah, that's the other side of it because that's just what it is. But the, I mean, you guys, I think, are a good um, a good example of the caveat to that is know your market. Right. Right. Yeah. If if it's not selling, you're doing it, you're doing it and yourself and your customers a disservice by putting out an IPA that's oh it's been sitting here for three months. No one no one's drinking it. Right. That and we can be friends with everybody. You know, we're not competing with any of the local craft breweries. Um, you know, we want to be friends with them. We'll do collaborations with them from time to time. Mm. So you know, it, it kind of opens the door for us that uh, you know we can we can sell our beer to other craft breweries that that want to you know have a affordable domestic option for their consumers so that, you know, that group of 10 people that come in, two guys aren't alienated. So. And especially life coach has done really well at other breweries. Yeah. Because they don't want to tie up their tank for over 30 days, but they still want to have something that a Bud Light drinker can drink. Right. Right. And so they just slide life coach in there and it works out great for them. Wow. Yeah. What a great, uh, Life coach, more like business coach. You know what I'm saying, guys? There you go. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good, uh, it's a good strategy. And, you know, I hate to sort of break it down like that because in craft and especially on this show, we sort of talk about the romance and the, you know, the, um, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle and we do this for the passion or whatever. But at the end of the day, you do have bills to pay and you do have to be smart about how you position yourself within the market. And it sounds like right. you guys are doing a great job with that. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it makes, it makes total sense. It's definitely a unique business plan and one that has worked very well for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy too. I mean, brewing a light domestic lager, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not as easy as, uh, as, uh, as brewing a stout or, or, a, you know, Imperial IPA or something like that. And we've both sold those, you know, we've, uh, yep. uh, you know, I've been in the industry for 15 years. I've sold stone dogfish head, you know, every brewery across the board. And I love those beers. I love yeah. them. But uh, I also love light domestic, light domestic lagers. I always have. And, uh, you yeah, know, that's what we're doing. I love it. Um, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. I want to drink the, the last beer. What's it called again? The, the Bradford, Bradford Light. Bradford. Bradford. Bradford Light. Okay. We'll check out that. We'll talk a little bit about, a little bit about light beer and, and all that kind of funky stuff. So hang on, everybody. It's the session. We're on with Kansas Territory Brewing Company. We'll be right back. It's time to talk beer and chew bubble gum. And we're all out of gum. The session. Hey, thanks for hanging around, everybody. We're going to wrap things up here in a little bit, but I'm going to crack open the Bradford Light Domestic Lager from Kansas Territory Brewing Company. See? I'm not a liar. I did it. Tell me about the Bradford, because first of all, this label, <clears throat> pretty, pretty much rules. That is oh, yeah. very like it's got that blue collar, baby. Sixties, mid sixties, yeah. sort of like vibe. Because you know, I drank a lot of beer in the sixties, so I know exactly what that is. <laughs> uh, tell me about tell me about this beer, please. So, um, this one we use rice as an adjunct instead of corn. Okay. And so, but still keep it really, really simple. Uh, we keep it light. We do add amylase to it at about day three of fermentation, so we dry it all the way out. But yeah, this was a response to some of the brewers that, or not the brewers, but the people that were drinking the beer that thought Life Coach was a little too heavy, which I thought was absurd. You're got to be kidding me. <laughs> no. 
again, it's a Bush-like culture. And so life coach is a little bit heavier than that. Yeah, so, but I mean, I think that these people are, <clears throat> they, they have, you have to have like the largest population of super tasters in the, in the country because that, it's an impossible, I'm a super taster. We've all covered this on the show multiple right, times. Right. Everybody yep. knows about it. Um, I, I, heavy? Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. I mean, also God and bless so, him because that's great. I love, I yeah, love that. I, love going, I don't really like heavy beers. Do you have something lighter than the standard American right. lager? Right. <laughs> but those are the, some of the same comments that you get at beer festivals too. I don't yeah. really like heavy beers, so I'm not into those lagers. Do you have anything else? And are you serious? What? Really? Yeah. No. Oh yeah, we get we get some of that. Do you think that the the proliferation of the lager in the Midwest is due to like like a <laughs> I don't mean this the wrong way, but the lack of education. I don't yeah. know. I, it's just people just don't know about it. I mean, it. there's there's a lot of people in the Midwest that drink all day, too. I mean, you got to think about that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you really, you know what? It's, you really do have to think about that. Yeah, you, you don't do. think you do, but it turns out you really do have to think about that. Mm-hmm. They, they want to pick up a 24-pack or a 30-pack in the morning, and then right. that's, that's their day's plan. Yep. Cheaper wow. than a movie. So. <laughs> yeah. Hallucinating usually is. <laughs> but, yeah, I think part of it is a little bit of a lack of education, and part of it is people trying to become educated. And mm-hmm. so when they say, I don't like heavy beers, I don't like those lagers, I think they have just heard a beer called a lager before they didn't like, and they just assume that's all the heavy beers, but they're ah. trying. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. big into giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, I mean, it sounds like that's probably a, a lot of what it is as well, because they're using the language that they've heard to describe the beers. Right. It yep. might not be the like I mean, we talk about this with like Nicole Ernie a couple of times is your your vocabulary and mine might be different, but we could be talking about the same thing. So it's finding that shared vocabulary and then giving that right. to the consumer and going, this is what you mean when you say this word. <laughs> What was it? It smelled like her uncle's basement or something. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> she said something like that. That's sort of why I like talking about beer because you can just say the weirdest off the wall shit. And sometimes it yeah. sticks. And sometimes it, people are like, what are you talking about? Right. Huh. But then you get that one weirdo going, yeah, it really does smell like your uncle's basement. It's <laughs> weird. I don't know why. So this is a response to people thinking that um, life coach is too, is too heavy. Right. All right, so and then said, the name, obviously Bradford Light. It's a light domestic lager. Um, Bradford is kind of the company that backs the brewery, and so again, that's the the truck bed manufacturing company. Okay, so they do steel and aluminum truck beds that are wow. aftermarket that they put on pickups. So you're getting all the plugs in today. Beds, farm trucks, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, so there you go, guys. If you're driving around with a Bradford. You should be driving around with a Bradford. You know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> Next but to you or in the Brad trunk. Brad also really wants to put a big focus on the domestic logger truly being domestic. And so not being owned by a foreign company, you know, being obviously we're right in the middle of the United States. And so we're owned by one person. It's a, it's a single family operation. Um, but with the other macro loggers that are owned by foreign entities, he wants to be a true domestic law. I get that. I respect that. 
I like the vibe of, of, of keeping things local, keeping the money in the community. I mean, that's really the point of, of, you know, small town regional breweries in the first place. Right. You know, that's, and that's, and I do really appreciate that shift in craft marketing as well. Uh, You know, aside from the, you know, like we already talked about the early nineties, early two thousands, where it's like the big, you know, let's make a splash and let's do this and whatever. It's now like support your local craft brewery. Keep it, keep your community alive, especially through COVID. I mean, I think that really sort of hit the nail on the head for a lot of people, which is a a dark, you know, analogy, but, um, you know, we got it. We got to support these, these businesses because, uh, they won't be around for too much longer. Yep. And I, uh, I do think that one of the hardest things I could think of doing right now is creating a Nash brewery to grow up a brewery that is going to be in all 50 States. That has got to be one of the hardest tasks out there right now. Do you think you can do that? I don't know. I don't, think, I don't so. think so. I don't think so either. I mean, there's we even years ago we were getting uh, breweries on the show that were pulling back because yep, right. it's just it's it's easier to throw the stone, you know, closer to you than farther away. I don't know why and I decided to go all Zen right then, but uh, Confucius yep. <laughs> says that's right. It's <laughs> easier to throw the stone closer to you than farther away. And then he burped and yep. scratches ass. But yeah, that's part of what I told Brad when I hired on five years ago mm-hmm. was that the only way I'm going to do this is if we take care of home first, right. if we get bigger than that, that's fine, but we need to make sure that home is taken care of first. Yeah. And it sounds like he was on board with that. Absolutely. Yeah. He loved it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's his ethos anyway. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does make a lot of sense. You know, you serve your region first, you serve your hometown first, because if you're, if you're shipping beer to Nebraska, but your but your town doesn't have any, that doesn't do you any good. Right the community good yeah. a lot of a lot of breweries around here mm-hmm. failed because of that so that's not yeah. anything that we ever plan to do so okay so the beer has rice instead of corn is that just mm-hmm. the difference between a light domestic lager and a standard actually, i actually don't really know really. too much about it okay um, how do you how do you shift to that light category? what makes it light the big thing that we did was we did add an en- enzyme on day three of fermentation and okay. so we dropped this out to zeros. Wow. And so it's 1.000 when we're ready to transfer that over. And so that allows us to use a little less grain, but also keep it super light um, and keep the alcohol at 4.2%. So what's a uh, life coach? Same, 4.2. Everything's 4.2. Yep. Right. The pineapple life oh, coach dude. is a little bit below that. I think okay. we list that at 4.0. Right. Yep. But really? that's just because of the volume of pineapple that we're putting in it. Oh, because it's that's watered not, down. It's diluting. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, that's a better term than watering down. <laughs> oh, you mean that beer <laughs> right. that you water down, guys? Right. Yeah, give me more <laughs> of that, down. please. Um, yeah. I do like that you have the fat content on here. That's good. It's uh, less yeah. than 0.5 <laughs> grams. That's cute. Um, yeah. But yeah, the calorie... It's got, are it's the, got less calories and carbs than Michelob Ultra, so... Get after it. Damn, bro. <laughs> yeah. Your active <laughs> lifestyle. Um, is that on the other cans too? Did I miss it? I don't have the cans here to check. but uh, I don't believe so. No, we do not have it on the others. No, we listed on Bradford because we, we want to make that kind of our lifestyle brand where, uh, you know, those those carb calorie conscious consumers, they have a local option to turn to. Um, I think that's something that the brewing industry as a whole hasn't really addressed yet. And, you know, Big Globe Ultra has been trending up double digits for years, triple digits some years. So 
this is kind of our answer to that as a, as a local option. How long does a beer like this take to design? Um, designing, we did a lot of work on the pilot system. Okay. And so we did spend a couple of months on the pilot system, kind of playing around with stuff. Um, but honestly, the first batch that we produced on the production system was spot on, and we just ran with it. Wow. That sounds pretty lucky. It was, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Because this is, it's a hard, I've never made, oh, let me try to think. I think I may have tried to do one of these uh, as an extract kit when I worked at More Beer, you know, early right. on. Because like, oh, you know, and it's never going to be this from an extract. Right. It's just not going to happen, right? But right. Uh, that was it. I've never tried to do it because it's like, I, I, I couldn't do a job like this. Yeah. I mean, I can barely brew a fucking pale ale. Stout, yes, but... <clears throat> I can't do it. <laughs> I can't well, go any lighter than that. Well, out there, and everybody knows this by now, but it's all temperature control. Yeah. I mean, that is the vast majority of it, is being able to control your temperature. We knock out at 54 degrees. Uh, we let it ferment for two weeks at that, and then start slowly dropping it down. Okay, so, so. you just hold it at 54. Yep. Straight across, and then slowly load it after two weeks. Okay. And then how long do you uh, let it sit in there before you're you're pushing it out? Package. So it's it's typically in the tanks between thirty and thirty five days. Um, wow! I obviously we're taking gravities every day, and so we're making sure that the beer has finished out before we start any of the dropping, and then we follow our logger schedule as we're dropping that down, and then harvesting yeast throughout or dumping yeast depending. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. Thirty three days. Wow. Okay. I don't know why that's like super. And then do you do you age it in the can, or is it like it's packaged, it's ready to go? Packaged and gone. ready to go. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Tell me about the, the new facility you guys are opening. That is a big one. Okay. So <laughs> All right. Uh, like we talked Thank about you. earlier, we were brewing on a four-vessel, 20-barrel system into 60-barrel fermenters. Uh, the new facility is an 80-barrel system uh, brewing into 320-barrel fermenters. So 80 barrel. Wow. So what is that? Three turns? Yeah. Okay. Uh, four. Four. Eh, yeah. Whatever. Math. Is fine. Yeah. Whatever. It's all right. <clears throat> it's podcaster math. Dude, it, it doesn't matter, matter anyway. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Someone's going to hear this we, in five years and going to come. This is, you said three. Is, <laughs> guys are fucking liars. Uh, okay. So four turns. Wow. Damn. Okay. So four turns, but it does have a mash filter press instead of a lotter ton. And so that speeds up that process quite a bit. A mat, so you're you're pushing down on the grain bed to squeeze it out? Kind of. We're pushing okay. sideways on the grain bed. Okay. And so it, it, it kind of looks like a heat exchanger, but it's okay. like seven feet tall and like 30 feet long. You pat, push the entire know. mash into it, and oh, then okay. hydraulics squeeze it. Okay. Okay. So you're – Wow. Jesus. Okay, so you're 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 pushing the mash from the mash tun uh-huh. via what? What's the mechanism for that? Is it a like, big ass pump? There we go. <laughs> okay, so you pump it. With, okay, okay, I see. So you don't. <laughs> and this is really throwing. This is honestly the first time I've ever heard of this. So I'm like, I'm really nice. trying to process it. So yeah. it's it's just like your mash is, you know, that the grain ratio, maybe like on a, a homebrew scale, it's like one to one or whatever. So it's still yep. soupy. You pump it out, right? You don't drain it first and it's go over dry. Entire or, mash. Got it. Okay. 
Now I'm on board. Filter press. Okay. And then it's a hydraulic, like a, so a bladder fills up maybe or something yep. like that. Okay. Yep. And it squeezes everything out. So you don't, you're not relying on gravity. Correct. And that That's also allows say. us to get a lot more efficiency out of our grain. Okay. Because we'll run, instead of running a roller mill, we're going to be running a hammer mill. And so it's sure. going to turn it almost to flour. Oh, okay. And then that way, because there's no such thing as a stuck mash. And you have a filter press. <laughs> right. And so when it comes to, you know, anything, whether it's grain that has been ground down that far or corn or rice or something like that, we're, we're going to be able to get everything out of it. So they, they tell us, and we still have not run this system yet, but they tell us that we can get upwards of 98% efficiency. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah, you could. Do you, really, <laughs> right. do, you think do you think you'll get that? I mean. I, I don't know. 90s you, would be good. Right. Anywhere would, in the 90s. I mean, Yeah, for sure. If you ever hit 98, you should have a party. I mean, I think will. that's like, that's insane. Yeah. And then, yeah. That's the, wild. When dude. the grain comes out of there, it just falls out in dry pucks. So oh my God, it's like a espresso machine. That's right. Yeah, for, that's exactly what it is. So, okay. So as a home brewer, you always hear you don't squeeze the bag. And I have always said, you can put me on the record that that doesn't matter. Yes, I would agree with you. It doesn't matter. It can't matter, right? Because it's not like you're doing anything on the molecular level. That's going to change the flavor of the fluid or extract more to, you know, like popping tannin bubbles right in the thing. Yes. Whatever's in the water or in the, in the mash is in the mash. Yep. People go, oh, well, you squeeze the tea bag. And it's like, well, the tea bag is you're making green tea at 195 or boiling. That, that that's, your, that's where your tannins that's are made. Where your tea, yeah. You do green yep. tea at like I, 150, 160. Everybody knows that, right? Yep. I mean, yep. yeah. So um, so it doesn't it doesn't change the, the flavor of the grain at all to put as much pressure as it would take to form it into a puck. Well, we're going to find that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I feel like you should know that beforehand, when, before Brad spends the money. Right. But I mean, you guys, um, the, do whatever you want. research that has been done has not indicated that there's any more tannin extraction. Okay. Have you um, seen this? In we are, we are planning on the only equipment we have to move over to the new facility is going to be our packaging equipment. So okay. we are planning on brewing a batch at the old facility and the new facility at the same time. Smart. That way we can taste them side by side the entire way through the process. Are you going to keep the old facility up and running? We have not decided yet. Ah, okay. If we do, that's going to be a pilot project. And so we could have some 20-barrel fermenters with that system, and that would be our, you know, pilot, draft-only, special event, stuff like that. Yeah, I, there's more to lagers than light domestic. That's right. So. <laughs> that's true, yes. Well, okay, so, things like that. so then your one-barrel pilot would sort of <clears throat> be sold off or whatever. And it still could be something for developing – you know, a new production beer. Yeah. We still, we still want to have that available, especially to our brewers. You know, when brewers get into the brewing industry, they typically don't do it. So they brew the same beer every day. <laughs> yeah. And so typically. to give them an opportunity to just, you know, take the leash off and just say, do whatever you want to do. Um, and Brad's got a really good philosophy on it. He says, if you are brewing on that pilot system, and every 10 beers, we're not throwing a beer away. You're doing something wrong. You're not pushing the envelope enough. So let's figure out what's going on. Brad sounds like the most benevolent like <laughs> owner awesome. in the entire world. That doesn't make any sense. 
Right. Who, who would say that? If you're not yep. wasting my money, yep. then you're doing it wrong. Yep. I kind of love Brad. I've never met the man in my entire life. He's fantastic. <laughs> that sounds really cool. That's great. I mean, that's sort of like carte blanche. So what kind of weird shit are you guys doing out there? You got to be pushing the envelope. We... That was said to us about a month ago. Ah, uh, <laughs> so, okay. Okay. So the most recent thing that I brewed on the pilot system, I did an 8.5% Saison, but just a base Saison. Wow. So, That's a big jump. Is it? Is it big. on draft yet? It is, yes. And, and how, yeah. how's that going? It's going pretty well. Um, okay. It dried out more than I wanted it to. All right. But it was also sweeter than I wanted it to be, which doesn't make any sense. Hmm. So. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's got a lot of big banana clove character. Um, it's, it's going to get some people in trouble if they're not careful. So, (laughs) you know what I've, uh, yeah, I, I get that impression from a lot of people like in the mid, in the Midwest, we have brewers on where you guys like to do these low alcohol beers and then you have like one that just kicks everyone's ass. Right. (laughs) But but you go, well, be careful guys. You can only have like five or six of these. You can't have, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it sounds like the same. Um, because a saison seems like so flavorful. Not that, and you know, I think you guys, I know you well enough to know that you're not, you're not going to take this the wrong way, but these beers aren't super flavorful. They're very flavorful for the style of beers that they are. They're very, very great examples of the styles that they are. These beers are not designed to be flavorful. Right. And, and even though that's the case, you still have flavor in them clearly because people think some of them are too dark or too heavy. Right, but right. to go from this to a Saison, I don't, I can't imagine that, man. I mean, I'm installing truck beds. What do I know? Right. <laughs> and then you give me a brewing domestic beer. So, yeah, well, then you give me yeah. a Saison. I'm like, I don't, I think my tongue is hurting. I, I don't, you sprained it. I, I but it sounds <laughs> but like that, people it, are open. That to is, that. that is part of that education portion of it that okay. we yeah. were talking about earlier. Yeah. Where we're introducing new styles to people that, don't know how to pronounce Saison sometimes, you know, <laughs> and, and people uh, like it's it. been absolutely fantastic. We've had, we've had people that have fallen in love with double IPAs or Saisons or even some of the few sour beers that we've done. We've done a few kettle sours and we've had people fall in love with them. See, and I think that what you guys are doing, again, it goes back to positioning yourself in the marketplace. And I think what you guys are doing, Kurt, um, especially for you, because I'm, I feel like this is sort of your, you know, baby, but you, you, you take the loggers, you push those, you reserve the weird shit for, <laughs> for the pubs and whatever. And you sort of grow that organically. Um, and then introduce new stuff to the local population who aren't used to these things. And then you can sort of branch out and sort of flex your, your brewing skills that way. I feel like that's a really good, like you were saying, Brent, it, it's, it's sort of the opposite of what people would normally do. I think right. it, that's what we want to do. Yeah. You know, we it want to challenge cool. our consumers because, you know, if we only had three beers on tap, nobody would come to our bar. You know, they could buy it at a buy it at a liquor store or a grocery store or whatever. So, um, yeah, we want to we want to keep our brewers happy, number one, and uh, challenge those consumers that make it out to the brewery, but also have something to offer some of our uh, more craft centric accounts that keep us in cans or have that domestic option on draft. So I love thinking about um, a little town in Kansas. I mean, little, it's a thousand people, but it's still, you know, pretty small um, people drinking Saison and like discovering Saison for the first time. To me, that's the romanticized version of the American craft beer movement. 
yeah, right. is people just discovering these things that have literally been brewed for hundreds of years. Right. And then now you're just, they're just learning. How do you say it? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's the right. cool thing. And I feel like that's sort of like the, that like heartbeat of the American craft beer movement is still doing these things and still paying tribute to the brewing tradition that has been going on for thousands of years by brewing a Saison, by brewing these other beers and getting people who would never have access to them to try them. Yeah. Right. I think that's cool. When I was on the sales side, we had a guy working for us. Um, He was actually out of Nebraska and running our Nebraska area. And he knew our beer really well, but he was very fresh into the craft beer industry. And I remember him calling me up one day and saying, Brandon, I just found this brand new beer. We've got to brew it. I said, what is it? Oh, God. He said, a Saison. Fuck, yeah. And I said, oh, boy. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll brew one of those. But <laughs> no that's problem. not brand new. <laughs> right. So I love that, man. Like you said, it's it's that education part of it. Yeah, well, and and it sounds like your 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 local population, the 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 general Kansas area, I would imagine, seems pretty into it, pretty yeah. happy with it. They're pretty excited to learn about it. Yeah. And I, you, I don't think you can ask for a better position for you guys to be in. Honestly, I mean, you get carte blanche, basically you get blank check mm-hmm. to do whatever you want on the pilot system. You have a, a customer base that's excited to try new stuff, but they're also yeah. drinking standard American lagers. Right. For me, right. that's like I don't know, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google image search Washington Kansas and see about moving there because that sounds <laughs> like it. man it sounds like heaven to me. I don't know. Yeah, and it's nice because they'll come in and you know they'll try this saison and maybe they don't like it, but they've got that Bradford Light Lager to fall back on after it. That's what yeah. I tell my kid. At least you tried it. Yep, yep. it's a comfy couch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um. Well, look, man, the Bradford it's good. I like it. You know, I think um. You're definitely capturing that essence of a of a of a light lager. Well, good. Are you going to ice it? That's the big question that everyone wants to know. The chats, everyone well, in the chats, like about ice that, it. But I don't know. I'm kidding. Yeah, I don't know. Twenty five ounce cans. Yeah, here they come. Just, yeah, fucking do forty ounce. You really should. You really should do a limited run of a forty ounce of Bradford. We, we did one for an April Fool's joke. We had we had some labels laying around, so we went and bought a forty and dumped it out, and put the Bradford label on it. You mean drank People it? People went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Did they really? You had to drink yeah. it. What was it? Do you remember what it was? I don't. I've never it had a, a I've never had a forty. Of some sort. I've had a, a Mickey's. I've had a Mickey's wide mouth, like a sip of it one it time. Was, I've never had a forty, so I have no idea. Don't do it. You're not missing out. Yeah. No. I know Rogue uh, a long time. Well, I don't know, a long time ago, but a while ago they did a um, they did a malt liquor. It was like Dad's malt liquor, right. I think. That was really good. But that's yeah. the hard part about being introduced to these like, oh, I don't know, man. Um, urban, I'd say urban legends, but they're obviously very real. But these like you know tales of of malt liquor and drinking malt liquor outside of the Seven Eleven or shoulder tapping for malt liquor. I don't have that, but I I you sort of get it from trying a craft beer version of it. Like like mm-hmm. the Bradford isn't you couldn't put this against a uh, Miller Light, right? And say do these taste the same? No, because the Bradford has more flavor. Yeah, right. And I think that's what you guys are going for. Yep. And that's what you want. It, you put the craft in the in the thing, right? That's what it is. Right. Um. Yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that weird, <laughs> that weird segue, <laughs> man. But I think that's cool, dude. That sounds like a that sounds like you guys have a, a pretty good vibe on what's going on, and um. You know, I'm reading my notes now that the, the new facility is going to have a new tasting room 
and an outdoor patio. Correct. Wow. You guys are really building some sort of, uh, you know, destination. All you need now is a hotel attached to it or a couple campgrounds. Right. Campground. Do you, are, is yeah, it going to be a campground? Camping is so big out there too. Really? It's so interesting. When, when I started working with the tasting room a little bit, um, our, we're only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. And Thursday night is the busiest night of all three of them during the summer, which didn't make any sense to me because everywhere I've ever been, it's been Friday and Saturday. And then I realized that everybody's going camping. And so they leave Friday morning, go out to the lake, and then they're not around to come into the tasting room. Uh, and so, okay. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. But the other thing we are planning on doing out there, so we're going to have some stadium-style seating. Uh, we're going to have a stage so we can play live music. But we're also going to be putting a distillery in. Whoa. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, now you're talking, baby. Okay. Barrel track. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. We already got oak barrels coming. So We currently have 125-gallon still, and we're running rye whiskey wash through it. Wow. Um, that was not big enough. So we've got a 2,500-gallon still on the way. Wow. Damn. Uh, pot still, or what, what kind of still are you talking? Yep, pot still. There you go. That's the way to sell. Rock and roll. Wow, that's uh, that's wild. Who's heading up your distilling operations? Is that you? Um, so far. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> All right. No, the guy, the guy that we just hired, he's super interested in distilling. So yeah. um, he's still got the GI Bill. He was going to take some classes on distilling, and that will probably transfer over to Shea. So. Nice, dude. That's yeah. cool. Is it still going to be um, a Kansas Territory distilling, or is it going to be under a different name? I don't know that you we've know. even gotten that Yeah, we have, we have some label proofs we're working through. We just want to okay. make sure it's right, you know, getting into the spirits games. Totally different than beer. That's that's yeah. what I did before I got in the beer industry. So we'll, uh, okay. we'll have that nailed down for the end of the year. Yeah, it sounds like time. Aging rye takes a while. Right yeah, now. absolutely, and it should, honestly. I mean, because yeah. that shit that will light you on fire, dude. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds like 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 echoing Jamil's problems too. Opening Heretic, where it's like, or opening the distillery. Like, I don't really know. He's just basically right. has a, dist- a distillery, just running stuff, just trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Right. Well, Brad's I love it. Just guys. a big rye fan. So yeah, yeah. He said we're gonna make some. Well, rye said, for okay. days. <laughs> rye for days. Well, and then you have to do you have to do some sort of whiskey barrel aged. Yep. Beers, but you know, I wonder. I'm I'm very curious about how that would go down. Like a big, like 15, 11% imperial stout aged on, uh, right. on rye barrels. That would get know. a lot of people in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That should be like, we'll definitely open up some doors for us to do some creative things. Yes. So, yeah. yeah we'll. We're going to have to invest in some wax so we can get some limited release bombers going or something. And yeah. we've been playing with some barrels so far. We've got our Time Portal, which is our breakfast brown ale. We brew with oats and a little bit of honey. We've good. got that aging in four different whiskey barrels right now. Our high-rise wheat, we aged in a tequila barrel, and so we're going to add some lime zest to that yeah, dude. and see see what happens. But I've had, had some of those other little small batch projects in work. Yeah, that's cool, man. I've had a Saison. I think it was from Shady Oak, actually. Uh-huh. It was a Saison uh, aged in, I know it's not typical, but uh, I out here, I feel like we're talking about another planet. I don't know why. Forgive me. But, like, <laughs> you see sometimes barrel-aged gins, which generally aren't right, barrel-aged, yeah. right? But um, So a Saison aged in a barrel that had gin in it previously. Yeah. It worked really well. 
If you think of yeah, it, yeah, that's well, fun. Botanicals and, and, yeah. yeah, that sounds cool. Well, boys, where can everybody go to learn more about Kansas Territory? Well, you go to our website, KansasTerritoryBrewingCo.com. That'd be the best place to go. Check, it, check us out on Facebook. Hell yeah. Where we do most of our posts and everything. Or come on out to Washington, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, do that. If you have a private plane, come on out. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a private plane. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, the Google Maps. You know what's weird about about your city is that, like, over to – if you look on Google Maps, over to the right, there's, like, this – there's this squarish shape that's separate from the other boundaries of the city. It's like this little tiny line that like, divides this uh, this random shape from this other random shape that's like by uh, Washington Church. Hmm. I don't know. It's very weird. East College Street. There's like this little yeah. tiny corner of of East College Street that's in this da- in this like weird trapezoidal. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lake. I don't know. <laughs> it looks crazy, I don't man. Know. I'll have to look at. It. There's like a there's like a rectangle of blue in this. Other. Please do. Please look at it. Let me know yeah. what you're seeing. Because this is, I, I want to know what's going on. I feel like it's been annexed by, uh, like, the Illuminati or something like that. <laughs> Could be. You never, you never know. know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. Uh, it seems like a cool place to, to hang out, and uh, it seems like the local population supporting you guys, and, uh, and that's all we can really ask for. You know what I mean? Yep. All right. All right, guys. We'll let you split. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, of course, to our sponsor, More Beer. You can go to morebeer.com. Get absolutely everything you need to make great beer at home. You got books, you can make wine, you can roast coffee, you can do all sorts of fun stuff besides just brewing beer. Who would have ever known? Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. Kansas Territory Brewing Co.com. And until next time, guys, we'll see you later. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. JP's an asshole. Justin's on my sky and winning the race. JP does great as his charity care.